0: you that may not know who I am, that's good. I mean, that's okay. (laughs) My name is Steve Kerhoulis, and uh, we moved here. We were just youngins. We moved here. We moved to Highlands in 1994, and uh, we came here with the intention of pastoring a church. that was quite small, and um, the Lord did the most amazing thing. He just blew it up, And we had the privilege of serving this church. I don't know if you know that. I was was the pastor of this church for uh, 12 years. And, uh, you know, when when we left, we just started praying that the Lord would provide the best pastor. And it took you guys a while, but after about two years, two and a half years, you finally found him. And of all places in Atlanta, Georgia. Can anything good come out of Atlanta, Georgia? Well, something very, very good came out of Atlanta, Georgia, and um, your pastor is quite a man after God's own heart, and he's a man of prayer. I know he's telling me he's going to be emphasizing prayer and fasting this coming year, and that's so important, yeah. And so I just wanted to say uh, thank you, Gary, for the privilege of of coming back and uh, preaching again. And um, hopefully after today, it'll maybe be a second one coming sometime in the future. But who knows? One of the Christmas carols that honestly ought never to be sung. Did he say that? One of the Christmas carols that should never be sung is We Three Kings. We Three Kings of Orient are Bearing gifts we traverse afar Field and fountain more and mountain following yonder star. The reason why? It's not true. It's not true. Oh, it's poetic, and it's melodic, and it's sentimental, but it's folklore. What is true about them is far more significant, and like Luke's Gospel where he talks about Simeon and Anna, they too play a major role in the identification of the person and the ministry of the one and only one Savior of the world. This is written by Matthew. Matthew is writing to an audience. He's writing to a Jewish audience. Many of them are trying to figure out, is Jesus really the one? Is he the Christ? And in this book... He begins by telling us emphatically he is, and how he does it is very interesting. So, first, let's identify them. Who are the magi? First, they're not kings. They're not kings. Now, we have that in the the, uh, little Christmas card, you know, the three kings wearing a crown. I think wearing a crown, traveling that far, might be difficult. And they all look so great, don't they? Those beautiful robes and those turbans on their heads. But they were not kings. Second, there were more than three. We'll find that out in a minute. Third, their names were made up. Not Casper, Baltasar, Melchior. Now, what they are is magi. Isn't that a majestic name? Magi. Wise men. Second, let's think about the inquiry. Why did they come? Chapter 2, remember, Matthew is talking about this. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2 says, they came to, what, worship him. They traveled 800 miles. Come on, 800 miles, 800 difficult miles to worship a Jewish child around two years old. Why? Why is he so important? that Gentiles of their rank and station in life, magi would travel to a foreign country in order to worship that child. Are you starting to sense the extraordinary thing that is taking place? So much more than three guys showing up on camels, wearing crowns and presenting Mom and dad with some presents. The Magi can be traced way back in time to a tribe of priests that go back to the time of Daniel. Daniel is important in this story. Around 750 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Some scholars even think that they were a priesthood that existed as far back as the time of Abraham. They were, in the beginning, shrouded in mystery. What we know about them is that they practiced various forms of magic. In fact, take the sea away. Magi. That's where this comes from. They practiced magic. They were into the occult. They were into things like astrology and astronomy. They charted their lives by, by the movement of the stars, by the horoscope. They were students. They studied. They studied mathematics. They practiced other faiths. They they incorporated them into their faith system. They were very superstitious people, but they were very, very spiritual. When Daniel holds the position in the Old Testament that he did, when the Jews were taken exile and brought into Babylon, and then later by other pagan emperors, starting with Nebuchadnezzar, the Magi, they become aware of Daniel. Daniel is spiritual. Daniel is very spiritual. Daniel has this connection with God. At some points, there was great jealousy concerning him. They had heard stories about this man. They had heard about his interpreting of dreams. That was big to the Magi. Daniel becomes an important member of the Magi. They are the intellectual class of men. They respected Daniel as a learned man. In fact, they learned much about the Hebrews' faith from him. And especially in chapter 2, verse 44, about the God of heaven. And they write this down. They include this in their history. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Yeah. And other prophecies uttered by Daniel. In chapter 5, verse 11, Daniel, we're told about him that the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, get this, not only it respected him, but makes him the chief of the magicians, the encanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. He was given a rank over and above the Magi. Isn't it amazing how God works? Here's a word I want you to learn. It's the word providence, the providence of God. How, how does the, you know, we talk about, God, I want to know your will. Here's a simple way. Understand his providence. Because the will of God is contained in the providence of God. This is how it works. You're walking. You know, Paul tells us in Ephesians um, to walk. That's your life, walk. Walk. Not as the unwise, but as the wise, making the most of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. They were evil then. I think they're more evil now. Much more evil. So we have to, as Christians, walk as wise men and women. Now, what does that mean? It means this the walk is the providence of God. Here, you are walking. You don't want to walk ahead of God. Are you walking ahead of God? Are you walking behind God? We need to be walking with God. And as we are walking with God, we're living our life. We just, we just go to the grocery store that day. And we're just in the grocery store. But all of a sudden, God has a, a, a something, a work for you and me to do in that grocery store. And we bump into Dorothy. And the Lord wants us to talk to her that day. But because we're not out here, and we're not back here, the will of God takes place in our life. So 2022 is on us. Would you make 2022 the year that you decide, I'm going to walk with God? You know, he's going to do the most amazing things in your life, because that's what happens. It's amazing how God, in his providence, brings Daniel, this boy, this young lad, all the way to Babylon in order that the gospel can make inroads into the pagan cultures, and they can write down prophecies that God gives to Daniel that later on is going to bring the gospel into their lives. That's how it works. Some years ago, about maybe six years ago, an individual who was a follower of the Iranian, the Persian, faith system of ancient days, Zoroaster, he was a part of my church, and he sat under my ministry for about three years. And uh, there was an opportunity for me to meet with him one-on-one to talk. And you know what I shared with him? I shared with him the connection between the wise men and the magi and Daniel. And the prophecies that Daniel made that they incorporated into their faith system. And he opened, this man opened his heart to Jesus Christ and became a Christian. He discovered this. He discovered that those men traveled that many miles in order to crown Jesus. Because the word magi, part of the definition of the word magi is this, kingmaker. Kingmaker. That's what they did. And they've traveled that far to, to crown him king. And I told him that. And he opened his heart to Jesus and he was saved. Why? Because of the connection between Daniel, his magi in Persia, his faith system, all connected. And today, he joined a church not too long ago and was baptized. The Magi were told that one day, God would bring into the world a king who would rule over the entire world. This, um, his, his would become the greatest of all empires. And the Magi, they believed it. And they wanted to get in on it. Isn't that how it works? Someone presents the gospel to you, and you go, man, I want to get in on that. And if you haven't, I hope you will. And they want to get in on it. They want to be a part of what was to come. And they believe the good news in Iran during that time when Daniel was around, this guy named Zoroaster, he lived about a hundred years later. He was writing, he was studying, and he incorporated into his faith system the teachings of Daniel, especially the predictions about a king. By the way, Zoroaster will become an influence in another man's life, and his name is Muhammad, some 1300 years later. He is going to take teachings of Zoroaster, who took. The teachings of Daniel and incorporated it into this, into this, and it explains why when you read about Islam, you go, How come there's so much of, of the Hebrew faith in it? It's because of what Daniel did. Don't you see what's going on in Matthew's mind? These magi, these are are magnificent men. They are are incredible. They're not insignificant. They become the dominant influence of the Persian culture. In fact, to become a king in Persia, you had to be one of them. Darius and Cyrus, they were magi. They became proficient in their beliefs and practices. Those men kept the monarchy in check. Man, we need them today, amen? And get this, Daniel, talk about the favor of God, Daniel rules over them for 64 years. Well, we've looked at their identity, we've talked about their inquiry, now it comes to the good part, the discovery In our text, they finally arrive in Jerusalem. I mean, where else would a a king be born than in the city of kings, Jerusalem? And when they do, they say this. Remember what they said? We saw his star. Now this is something. In the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, there is in chapter 24 and verse 17 a reference to a star. And it was said by this prophet of sorts named Balaam. Balaam said this. He said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob A scepter, kings hold scepters, will rise out of Israel. In Daniel's writings and in their writings, they had mentioned in those writings a time when a star would signal that he, the king, is born. And then it appeared. Something appears in the east. And they call it his star. Something unusual. It reminds us of Moses who sees the bush on fire and yet not consumed. They saw something so unreal. you know what I think? I don't think it was a star. I don't think it was a comet. I think they saw the Shekinah glory of God. The Shekinah, the brightest presence of God. A presence that cannot be explained with words. And it's what the shepherds see when the angel of the Lord appears and declares the good news of the Savior's birth. The wise men follow it. And it leads them to Jerusalem. Because that's where kings live now how did they know the time had come? Again it was something recorded by Daniel. Daniel in chapter 9 calculated the time from this to that to the coming of the king was so many years. They were in the mathematics. They calculated the time had come. It was in that day and in that year that he was Born And they followed a sign, the Shekinah glory of God. And when they arrived, they're in full force. It wasn't three of them. They're in full force. They came with an entourage. They came with soldiers and servants. When they arrived in Jerusalem, it says in the text that Herod was concerned. Would you be concerned three guys wearing crowns would knock at the door? I don't think so. No. Herod was concerned. Of course he's concerned. Just as the Ukrainians today are concerned, right? We need to pray for the Ukrainians because of the buildup on the border. He's concerned. And seeing the numbers that they brought along, he's worried. It says in the text, Herod was troubled. He's troubled. He's in trouble. And he doesn't know why. But it also says all of Jerusalem with him. Why would all Jerusalem be upset about three guys showing up? No. You know why? Because here he comes, here he comes, here he comes, here he comes. Ten come, twenty come, fifty come. They said could have been a thousand of them with these big old swords holding lances. But they didn't come to pick a fight. They came to worship him. These men had traveled so far to worship someone who they believe is the king of a world empire that they want to be a part of. It's in the record. We've seen his star. So Herod calls for a meeting He calls for an assembly of the counselors, chief priests, and his scribes, the Jews. He calls the Jews to come to him. He wants to know what he doesn't know. He doesn't know a lot. You know why? Because he's not a Jew. He's an Iumidian. His loyalty is not to Israel. His loyalty is to Rome. It is Rome that keeps him in power. But he calls for the Jews. And the Jews... Tell him what he needs to know or wants to know. And he asks, Where is this king to be born? And they told him, Bethlehem. He's a rival, he's a threat to Herod. You see what's going on in Herod's sick mind? He sees all those men from a foreign country who have traveled as representatives of a ruling class of people, the Magi, to confirm if indeed a king of great importance lives in Jerusalem. And he's in greatest distress. So he asks, this is what he asks in the text, where is the Christ To be born? The Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the the Messiah who is going to lead Israel. Where is he going to be born? Remember, he's a part of the Roman Empire. Bethlehem, your Majesty. The prophet Micah revealed the place. it's Bethlehem, five verse two. and it says this that Bethlehem's a place for you, for from you, this Bethlehem, shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel, a ruler and Herod Summoned the wise men secretly. He found out when they first saw the star about two years ago, which explains why later on he'll send his troops into Bethlehem and to kill the children from two years old and under. And he releases them to go and search for him. And when you do, bring back word to me so that I may come and worship him. They trusted him. They set off in search of the king. and The text tells us that behold the star that they had seen rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they, I love, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening the treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the end of this, they leave because God said, don't go back, just leave. they did. And when they do this, Matthew is saying, he's the one. He's the fulfillment of prophecy. Him. Simeon and Anna, two highly respected, godly, righteous, devout people who have nothing to gain by selecting some random baby in the temple and declaring him to be the Savior of sinners. No. Matthew's Gospel is containing this account To declare the same. It's who he is. But here's the thing we're going to draw this magnificent event to a close. Aren't you curious? I'm curious to know if they asked Mary, What's his name? Because it's not in the text. It's not mentioned. And if Mary said, it's Jesus. And explained what Jesus means. God, my Savior. See, I can forgive you of something you've done to me but I can't erase the event as if it never happened. I can't do that. And you have to live with it. If you've done it, you can say, Pastor, would you forgive me? And I'd say, Yeah, brother, I'll forgive you. But it's still there. What I need and you need is someone who erases it completely. And only God can do that. The Bible declares only God can forgive sins. His name is Jesus. where he will save his people from their sins. Don't you want to know, did they do it? Did they arrive with treasure and present it to them? but that they leave with the treasure in their hearts. It's a simple one. Really, it's yes or no. And Christmas, when you think about it, it asks this question. Is he, come on, is he what you treasure the most? Is he the treasure in your heart? He can be and will be if you are wise enough today to seek him. Amen. So Father, we come before you and um, this is a way we want to finish this season by recognizing the emphatic truth of the reality of Jesus as our Messiah. And we are so grateful, and we want to live for you. And the Bible says, make the most of your time because the days are evil. And, and we live in an evil day. And so we pray, Father God, that, that every person in this congregation will, will make the commitment today to treasure Jesus in their heart. Listen, if that's you, just do it today. Say, Jesus, I'm committing myself to treasure you in my heart above all things. And I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to make you a priority in my life. And if you're without Christ, you're a religious person, maybe a very religious person, I had someone in my church one day say, I'm 61 years old. I've held every position in the church. But today I became a Christian. You can have tons of God encounters, but not have Christ in your life. And so today, if the Spirit of God is, is knocking on your heart, would you open the door of your heart? Just settle it once and for all. Invite Christ into your life today. He'll change your life. He'll change you from the inside out. Just do that today. In the magnificent name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Would you stand back up? We're going to have our closing hymn together.